Support for TPR comes from Texas Biomed, an independent nonprofit infectious disease research institute focused on understanding the complexities of human health through science. Learn more about global health at texasbiomed.org. Across the country, caution tape has been removed from playgrounds, and kids are back at play. Listen to them. It's like medicine to me. Over the next month, children will also be going back to school. Most in person. Many don't have a choice. Their schools won't have at-home or even hybrid options. It felt like it was time, right? After all, we have good, safe vaccines. Many kids really struggled academically without face-to-face contact with their teachers. Many suffered immensely from the loss of bonds with their friends. And COVID numbers, the ones we've been tracking for you all along, infections, hospitalizations, and deaths, they were all plummeting as millions of Americans rushed to roll up their sleeves and get vaccinated. Listen to those children. The caution tape came down, and they could play together again. Then, Delta. Thank you all for joining us today. As you have heard from me previously, this pandemic continues to pose a serious threat to the health of all Americans. On Tuesday, July 27th, CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky had grim news. And today, we have new science related to the Delta variant that requires us to update the guidance regarding what you can do when you are fully vaccinated. The new science, she said, showed that Delta had pushed out other variants of the virus and now was the dominant strain across the United States. And that's not all. Information on the Delta variant from several states and other countries indicates that in rare occasions, some vaccinated people infected with the Delta variant after vaccination may be contagious and spread the virus to others. This New science is worrisome and unfortunately warrants an update to our recommendations. The updates include the recommendation that even fully vaccinated people go back to wearing masks in indoor public settings, including schools. CDC recommends that everyone in K-12 schools wear a mask indoors, including teachers, staff, students, and visitors regardless of vaccination status. The recommendation that everyone in schools wear a mask is a big change from the guidance issued just weeks before. Um, When we released our school guidance on July 9th, um, we had less Delta variants in this country. We had fewer cases in this country. And importantly, we were really hopeful that we would have more people vaccinated, especially in the demographic between 12 to 17 years old. And with only 30, 30% of our uh, kids between 12 and 17 fully vaccinated now, more cases in this country and a real effort to try and make sure that our kids can safely get to back to full in-person learning in the fall, um, we're recommending that everybody wear masks right now. Okay, (laughs) that makes sense. 
but I think even Dr. Walensky will forgive parents and kids if they're a little bit confused and anxious right now. So we went to a playground in Brooklyn, New York. We asked children what they wanted to know about COVID before they go back to school, and we asked their parents what they're worried about as they prepare to send their children into public gathering places, which is what schools really are, during a pandemic that refuses to subside. Then we got some answers. From Texas Public Radio, this is Petri Dish. I'm Bonnie Petrie. This week, we talked to pediatric infectious diseases doctor Tess Barton about going back to school safely during a pandemic. Dr. Barton is an associate professor of pediatric infectious diseases at UT Health San Antonio, and she's been treating children with COVID since the beginning of the pandemic. Some people said, oh, well, kids don't get it. That's that's not true. Um, kids absolutely do get this infection. Um, and most of them do well. Most of them don't get severely ill or require hospitalization, although some do. And, you know, many children have died of this infection. Um, so it's not uncommon that that children get it. What, what we're seeing recently is that the um, kind of the of, of all the people who are getting COVID, children are making up a larger, a larger chunk of that than they were before. In fact, according to the American Academy of Pediatrics for the week ending July 22nd, children made up nearly 17 percent of weekly COVID cases. Dr. Barton says last year at this time, they only made up three percent of COVID cases. So we'll talk about what Barton thinks we need to do to keep that number from exploding when school starts. Spoiler alert, it has to do with Swiss cheese. But first, we wanted to know what's on kids' minds today. So with their parents' consent, we let them ask the questions, and the doctor answered. Of course, we started on the playground. Okay, my name is Micaiah Santiago, and I'm 10 years old. Not old enough to get the COVID vaccine yet. One question that I do have for the doctor is, what about, since there's a new Delta variant, what about the, the Delta variant breaking through the COVID vaccine? Are there scientists going to need to improve the vaccines to cover the Delta variant? That's a brilliant question. So we, we do have, we have, we have some information already about the currently, some of the currently available vaccines and the Delta variant. And so what they found is that if you get two doses of that Pfizer mRNA vaccine, it's still 88% protective against symptomatic COVID, um, which it was 93% protective in, in the UK. And in their, that's when they compared in their same population um, against the previous strain. So, so we know that the, that vaccine is a little bit less effective against the Delta variant, a little bit less protective, but it still actually has a really good level of protection. Um, one dose is not as protective. It was only 48% protective. So, um, it is important to get the second dose. We have another 10 year old with a variant question. My name is 
Eli's store. The only question I have is, how many vaccines are we gonna end up having if there's new variants that are gonna come out later? And if there even are any other new variants that are gonna come out later? <laughs> I know nobody nobody wants more shots, right? Like that sounds like the worst thing. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I guess I guess we'll see. So, part of that is is if if we don't want more new variants to come out, then we need to stop spreading this virus to each other. First of all, um, but secondly, uh, hopefully, hopefully, you know, like I said, if if you know if we have new vaccines against the new variants. Um, ideally, they would either be combined or they would be that, you know, you get one and then you get a booster with kind of the new strain as, as you go along. You know, we, we've, we've done a lot to try to combine vaccines as much as possible. Again, for example, the flu vaccine, the regular flu vaccine has four strains of flu in it. Um, so you, sound like you don't have to get four separate shots. You get one shot with the four strains. So, you know, it, it may be that something like that will happen later for COVID vaccines. We talked to Eli's mom, too. Her name is Gail Stewart, and she's a little worried about vaccines for the little ones, even though they're unlikely to be approved for those under 12, even with an emergency use authorization until midwinter. Because they're so young. We don't know how it's going to end up being. I mean, we take all the vaccines now, but those have been studied for so long. You, you kind of are okay with that, but I'm not getting that level of okay with this vaccine and then... You hear, oh, you need boosters, you need this, you need that. Okay, how many more boosters are we going to need? Or is it, because it's always mutating, do we always need to get something on something and something? I don't know when it's going to stop. Dr. Barton, what do you say to parents of children you treat when they ask these kinds of questions? I tell them that it is very healthy and shows a lot of intelligence to be thinking about it and skeptical and want to know all the information. And, um, and, and I applaud them actually for, for thinking about it. And, and I think that first of all, um, for instance, the mRNA vaccine, the, those are the ones that are going to be likely available for children because that's currently what's available for, you know, teenagers, um, is, is a, is a new vaccine technology in routine clinical use, but it's not a new vaccine technology. It's actually something that's been under investigation for decades. Um, it was something that was investigated for the, the SARS, the first SARS virus, um, but that virus kind of fizzled out. So there was no market to continue with the vaccine. Now we know you know, the clinical trials included tens of thousands of people. And since the clinical, and since the emergency youth authorization, we have given this vaccine to millions, right? So we have a vast experience now with the vaccine. Um, and that experience is largely really, really good. It's really effective. Um, there are sometimes side effects. The serious side effects are, are, are rare. And the serious side effects that we see pretty much mirror the complications of COVID. Tell me more about that. I know there have been worries about blood clots and also myocarditis, which is, you know, inflammation of the heart in a small number of teens who've gotten the vaccine. 
there are rare cases of bad side effects, right? Or serious side effects. And rather than say those don't exist, that's not real, I think we have to be realistic and say, yes, though, you know, there, there are rare side effects to this vaccine. But overall, those side effects are so much less than the risk of, of having many of those exact same problems from COVID because many of those severe side effects are actually the same complications you get from COVID infection, right? Which makes sense, right? <laughs> you, you, you know, you, you've got, you know, a lot of the complications from COVID are actually immune system reactions to COVID. Um, things like blood clots and myocarditis. Those are actually immune system things from COVID. Now the, the myocarditis from vaccine, right? That's been reported in children, primarily in boys, right? So the very, very highest risk group of myocarditis for in boys, um, is boys 12 to 15. And, um, and based on the data that's been gathered, there have been more than a thousand cases of myocarditis reported possibly from vaccine. It gives a rate of 68 per million. That's the highest risk. That's in boys. In girls, it's four per million. So, um, so, you know, if you, if you like take, okay, what's my risk of getting COVID, right? Just I'm sitting here. What's my risk of getting COVID? And if I get COVID, add on to that. What's my risk of actually getting myocarditis? I calculate that it's about um, it's about 200 per million. So you actually have a higher risk of having myocarditis by not getting vaccinated than by getting vaccinated, if that makes sense. Yes, that makes sense. Okay, I think this might be the perfect time to hear some questions from a teen. Hello, my name is Evander Khan. I am 14 years old, and I've got some questions about COVID-19. For one, um, can it mutate and be even worse? And if so, do we even know if we can handle that? And um, can it mutate with the flu virus? Because I know that would be terrible if a flu season became COVID-19 season. And if it mutated with the flu virus, would the flu vaccine be able to stop it? Or would the COVID-19 vaccine be able to stop it? Or would it be something else completely different? Let's take Evander's first question about if the virus is going to just keep on mutating. So we began with a virus that was a little bit more contagious, for instance, than the flu. And then pretty quickly, last year in the spring, we developed, you know, in retrospect, we realized we developed a new strain that was, you know, was able to sort of spread really quickly here in the U.S. Then we saw the strain that popped up in the U.K., and, um, and that one, you know, was a little bit more contagious and then, and now we have this Delta variant. So it's definitely possible that the more we let this virus continue to transmit from person to person, you know, every time it's sort of gambling with getting a new variant. And how about Evander's question about COVID and the flu and vaccines for both? I, I love this kid, and I think he has a future in the pharmaceutical industry. <laughs> That's my answer. No, I so I no, I think this kid is awesome. What a what a fantastic question. So um, so the flu and COVID are like completely different 
viruses and completely different families of viruses. So they're not related to each other and, and, you know, uh, shots wouldn't work, you know, shots that work for one won't work for the other. Um, but I will say that if, you know, the, 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 the vaccine, the comp, the, the companies that make vaccines and that investigate vaccines, um, you know, it, it would be a pretty smart idea for them to try to combine a flu vaccine with, uh, with a COVID vaccine as kind of your winter virus vaccine. Let's go to another parent, Diana Santiago. Her son is Micaea, who we heard from a few minutes ago. He's 10 and in elementary school. I'm feeling a little nervous. I know I can trust him. He knows to always keep his mask on. He knows, you know, to, to use hand sanitizer, to not be too close. But they brought the feet down to three feet. So three feet is way closer in a whole classroom of 28 kids who haven't seen each other all year long. That's going to be a real challenge, right? I mean, these kids, especially the younger ones, are going to be so excited to see each other. and They'll just, you know, want to climb all over each other. Even the relatively short distance of three feet is going to be tough for them. I, I think that there's only so much that you can do. I think you do the best you can. So, you know, six feet is ideal. Three feet is probably acceptable, right? Um, and, you know, hand washing and doing those things in an outdoor space, you know, you, you take whatever steps you can take to try to decrease person-to-person spread. You can't be 100%. But but we can do something, right? Each individual person can do something um, that moment or that day to try to make things a little bit better. That is a perfect segue to the Swiss cheese. Now, what does Swiss cheese have to do with keeping our children safe at school during a pandemic? You know, the idea is imagine imagine a, a slice of Swiss cheese and it's got, you know, holes in it of varying sizes. And, um, you know, something could pass through one of those holes and then you layer on another slice of Swiss cheese. And, you know, if you if the holes don't match up right, then, you know, maybe maybe it can get through one slice, but it can't get through the next slice. And so the idea is that none of the measures that we have to contain this virus are 100% protective against this virus. I mean, right, like the only thing that would be 100% protective is if you as an individual person were in a room by yourself and you never encountered another human being. And that's clearly not a feasible method of, <laughs> of, of, of living. So, um, so the idea is that you layer your protection methods with each other and and each of those methods has some effect and when you add them together you get a much greater reduction so 3 feet distance is one slice of cheese but it's got a hole in it right so you stack it next to another slice like wearing a mask which also may have a hole in it but it's in a different location on the slice. So then you stack those two slices next to a third slice. Everyone around an unvaccinated child is vaccinated. That piece may also have a hole, but if you stack those three pieces of cheese on top of each other, it's unlikely the holes in each piece of cheese will be in the same place. So the three pieces of Swiss cheese stacked together are more difficult to penetrate. And the more pieces you layer, the more solid your protection and your child's protection. 
So say your child is an elementary school student. Say they're seven. What layers of cheese do you want to have in place to keep them safe from COVID at school? So the layers of cheese you want your seven-year-old to have is is the very basic thing is your seven-year-old should be masked as much as possible, especially inside, right? Um, the uh, that's that's a major layer, and your seven-year-old's desk should ideally be at least three feet away from the next desk over so that, you know, when they're sort of passively, you know, in a spot, they're, they're not circulating in someone else's air. The other layer of protection is that the teacher should be vaccinated, right? And the school bus driver and mom and dad, right? The, the, the adult humans around that child, that seven-year-old, should, should be vaccinated because that actually is a layer of protection for the seven-year-old. And how about an older child, a high schooler like my 16-year-old? So it, it is the same for your 16-year-old, only your 16-year-old is eligible for vaccine and should also be vaccinated. You know, all of this is so anxiety-producing. And uh, one dad that we talked to, Daryl Evander's dad, is a professor at City University of New York. He's even feeling anxiety about his level of anxiety. I'm not too sure how I feel about my kids going back to school. I guess I don't feel like I'm smart enough or have been diligent enough in following the developments around COVID to know whether I should be more anxious than I am or whether I'm more anxious than I should be. I guess that's a product of not knowing what I don't know about what's next. Yes, not knowing what's next is really difficult. So what do you tell parents when they're experiencing anxiety? So I, so <clears throat> this whole time, one of my mantras has been, don't, don't be afraid, be smart, right? So be, be smart about it. So, <clears throat> you know, each family should really, look at what are what are their circumstances and what do they individually you know and and as a family group need to do to keep this virus out of their house you know who who needs to be particularly protected um you know what is each person's risk based on going to school going to work you know whatever um and and plan accordingly and get your vaccine so that you have that peace and um and so i think conducting yourself as if you're around infected people don't be anxious about it don't be afraid about it be smart with yourself like this next parent my name is claudia obu we are both vaccinated. I'm feeling great. I am sending him to school with a suitcase and money for snacks because he will be there in person. There's been a, so much communication around the protocol and the changes due to the CDC guidelines. He's going in with mask. He's fully vaccinated on um, the moment it was available for 12 year olds and he had just turned 12. We went in and got vaccinated. So I feel comfortable with that. Should she feel comfortable with that? Yes. 
Yes, I think, you know, I, I think that people who are vaccinated, we need to recognize that vaccine isn't 100% protective. So it doesn't mean that, oh, I'm vaccinated. I'm just going to go do all the stuff, right? I'm going to go do all the things just like nothing ever happened. Um, and, and hopefully we get to the point where you can go do all the things like nothing ever happened. That's everybody's goal. Um, but, uh, but we know that you know, they're, you're not a hundred percent protective. And so, yes, she should be comfortable with her child going to school that should, you know, should everything not be done exactly right. Right. Should things escape through the Swiss cheese and the Swiss cheese model that, um, that, that you have that layer of protection. Before I let Dr. Barton go, she told me a story about one of her patients, a preschooler who'd had an organ transplant and was on powerful medicines to suppress their immune system. Now, the child had an older sibling who was struggling with at-home learning and really needed to be in school in person. So Dr. Barton and the family came up with an action plan that would allow the older child to go to school and the younger child, the one who'd had the transplant, to stay safe at home. So the older child went to school and brought the virus home. The younger one did get sick. The child is okay, but they did have to spend time in the hospital. The point of Dr. Barton's story was not that the older child shouldn't have gone to school. It was that we need to take care of each other. You know that meme you see sometimes on the internet that says everyone is fighting some kind of battle we don't know about, so always be kind? The same goes for wearing a mask or getting your vaccine. You know, like we don't know like what the person next to us, what their circumstance is and who's waiting at home, you know, whether it's whether it's a, a grandma or or a little, you know, a, a younger sibling with a problem, you know, we, like we don't know. And um, and so I think, you know, each family needs to make those decisions and they need to not feel guilty if they, you know, like if this child needed to go back to school, the mom should not feel guilty about sending them back to school. Right. Um, but I think that part of, you know, part of being in a society is that we, we, we protect ourselves and we kind of look out for each other. And I'm, I hope, I hope that when school starts again, that, that people will be vigilant about, about keeping COVID out of the classroom air because you don't know who who's in that classroom or who's waiting for someone at home who who might suffer. Thank you, Dr. Barton. I don't know about you, but watching the COVID numbers rise again over the last couple of weeks has made me profoundly sad. People struggling to breathe in the hospital alone again. Overwhelmed healthcare systems, ventilator shortages, shortages of healthcare workers again. <laughs> Rising numbers of cases, hospitalizations, deaths again. 
and it's also unnecessary. We have safe, effective vaccines. People just have to go get them. You know, Dr. Barton said something to me this week that really resonated with me. She said, part of personal responsibility is responsibility. We all have a personal responsibility to stop this virus. Every single one of us. We have a personal responsibility to wear our masks again. We have a personal responsibility to get our vaccines. We have a personal responsibility to do whatever we can to protect ourselves and others. A lot of people are now calling this the pandemic of the unvaccinated. You know who's unvaccinated? Children. According to childstats.gov, there are about 50 million children younger than 12 in the United States. None of them are vaccinated against COVID-19. None. They don't have a choice. So we must surround them with as many layers of protection as we can. That's our personal responsibility. This episode of Petri Dish was produced by Lucy Huang and me. Sound design and music by Jacob Rosati. Our executive producer is Fernanda Camarena. Special thanks to Mark Mehmet for his continuing contributions to the show. TPR's news director is Dan Katz. Petri Dish is a production of TPR and the Texas Newsroom, a collaboration between public radio stations across Texas and NPR. I'm Bonnie Petrie. Talk to you soon. <laughs>